Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, skulls and meat. So we are rebuilding the faces of unidentified people from their skull. When I started the Bureau, I thought all skulls looked alike. I mean, it's like, it's a skull. Um, but the more you see, then your eye gets attuned. So like my actual first hit, I, <laughs> I remember where I was. I was out pumping gas and a coworker called me and said, you know, the anthropologist, the police called and um, it was exactly that, what I said, that somebody was watching TV when the, the news came up and said, I think that might be my sister. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much for all of your support. So our first guest helps police solve crimes and families find missing people using only skulls. This is forensic sculptor Lisa Bailey. What, what is a forensic sculptor? Like, what are you doing? So we are rebuilding the faces of unidentified people from their skull because these are usually like the last ditch attempts to identify somebody. Fingerprints didn't ID them. Fingerprints, DNA, dental records, all that. So when all those, I don't like to say fail, but when those have not resulted in an ID, usually because there's not corresponding information in a database, in order to match them. It's a pretty unusual job. Yeah, I would imagine. Like, so is this something that happens a lot or is this something that happens only in a few cases? Like how prevalent is this? I once did the numbers and it came out to like, um, I, I went online on a database and counted how many facial approximations there were compared to the unidentified. It was like maybe 10%. So in about 10% of cases where somebody can't be identified, they'll, they'll bring in a facial sculptor. So it's it's the last it's the last resort. It's a very niche field, very niche. <laughs> How did you get into it then? Like this is something that I've never even I've never heard of it. It's funny because like when I was a teenager, have you ever heard of the show Quincy? It's the old TV show with the medical examiner. I saw somebody doing a. Um, it's called it's also called facial approximation because we're approximating what the person may have looked like. So I remember seeing a forensic sculptor and going, "That is so cool!" And then that was the end of it because. You know, nobody knew anything about that. This was the 70s. And um, basically, I got the job, um, luck and preparation. So when I saw the job posting for it, it was one of the very few times that a job for the FBI was in the newspaper. It was in the Washington Post, actually. I got a, I got a hand to Dunkin' Donuts because I went there on a Sunday and I was just looking through the Sunday paper. And I saw the FBI seal and I was like, oh, my God, what is this? And... I loved my job at the time. I was a graphic artist and I loved it and I wasn't looking to leave, but it just sounded so incredibly fascinating. And even that ad didn't have the forensic sculpting in it. It had, um, cause it was at a lower level. So I started as an illustrator. Well, so that works starting as an illustrator, you're doing demonstrative evidence like courtroom trials. And then as you work your way up, then you can start working on the postmortem cases. Is it more art or science? It is called a blending of both. So at the FBI, we always worked with an anthropologist. So I would never touch a skull without an anthropologist because they have to do the workup. So they do the, the big four, the age, sex, ancestry, and stature. And they do a report, and then I do the approximation 
taking into account what they what they said, and then we'll talk. We'll sit there and we'll look at the skull and, you know, go, okay, well, you know, this is what I'm seeing. And then I go about building the face. <clears throat> and then when it's about, when it's at a rough, when it's at a, like, say, like 80% is when the anthropologist would come in and look at it and see if I'm going in the direction that they think is correct. Like they might say, no, this nose was really broken. Like they would have had a really banged up nose. So accentuate it. Because we're trying to get people's attention. That's, that's the thing with these approximations is they absolutely can work as an attention getter. And I fully believe, because I've had so many cases where this happened, that if somebody that knew that person sees that image, an imperfect image, they will... I believe they will recognize they will recognize their family member because it's all about the skull structure. Like you look the way you look because of your because of your skull. That's how most of the IDs are made. Like when there's been um, when there's been a match, it's usually a family member or a friend that recognizes the person. It's not going to be a perfect sculpture. There's no way it can be because you can't predict everything from the skull. But um, if somebody that knew that person is looking and sees that image. I think it's enough to make them stop and look, look at the case data and go, oh, I haven't seen my cousin in 10 years or something. And that's when they can absolutely work. If you were to put a number on it, let's say 100% is the sculpture that you make looks exactly like a photograph of that person. How close would you say you usually get? Are we talking like 50%, 75%? Like where do you think it has usually been? Um, I've had a couple that were scary close where the anthropologist and I looked at each other and we went, wow, <laughs> like knock that one out of the park. Um, that's, that's, not a, that's not a normal. That's not a normal. Um, it's hard to say because, you know, we'll see things like if somebody had a very rounded chin or they had, um, like I said, very wide set eyes or something about the face that they keyed off of, it's, it's not, it can't look exactly like the person because we don't do hair color, eye color. Those are all unknowns because these are all skeletal remains. Um, I'm, I'm usually, I would say there's only one or two cases where I got an ID, you know, like somebody saw it and it worked, where I looked at the approximation and went, like, I could have done a few things differently. So like looking at somebody's skull, right? Like what are you looking for that kind of gives you clues as to what they would look like? So, uh, like the shape of their orbits, are they, are they sharp? Are, well, like a brow ridge. So men have thicker brow ridges, so you can emphasize that. Uh, the cheekbone shape, like you think all skulls look alike, and they absolutely don't. Like once, once you even put five in front of you, you can see how they're all different. So somebody that would have like a really broad cheekbone, that's usually like a nice high cheekbone fat pad that I don't have. <laughs> Um, chins, like if somebody has, um, you know, like a, like a, a rounded chin or like a very large jaw, things like that. It's, it's all of those things put together because we know where the features are. We may not get the nose shape exactly right because, um, you know, these skulls, some of them have been out in the elements for 10, 20 years and they've been, there was whatever the, the trauma from how they died. If it was like a blunt force or something, or like I've had skulls with, huge holes in them from gunshots um, where the anthropologist had to piece it back together. 
So the skulls we get are not pristine, so there can be um, some of the details that are lost, but it's basically when you look at it as a whole and you have, you know, the features are in the right place and you've got the face structure, that, that, really, that really can work, so. Maybe this will help me kind of understand, maybe it won't, right? But like looking at my face, what would my skull tell you about how I look? Oh my God, I do that, I do that all the time. I would imagine that you do that with people all I the do, time. I do. I really like, try not to. Like, I asked my husband. I have a girlfriend, and we go to lunch all the time. And I, I told my husband, I said, her, like, her face is, like my, like my left cheekbone is more recessed. And so I could look at her and go, oh, the left side of her face is like kind of a little bit more recessed, and this eye is a little bit higher than the other. So I'm going to point to your face. Your right eye is higher than your left. So I can already tell that that your orbits would be just a little bit. Thunk. Um, nice cheekbones. Um, there's things like we just, we can't tell like lip shape, mouths, things like that. But, um, yeah, you would have a good looking skull. You would have a nice skull. I take that as a compliment. Well, it really is true because, you know, we would get some skulls in and they would just be like these beautifully shaped skulls. It's, it sounds bizarre, but I think any other forensic artist is going to nod their head and go, yeah. And then there's some that are just you're dying to see what they look like in life because, you know, the, this is bony in this part of your jaw, like they'll have big flaring there where it's pulling out or, um, <clears throat> my coworker got one once where I was so jealous because he had a huge forehead. I mean, the eyes in, um, in a perfectly proportioned face, eyes are in the middle of your skull. It's like the artistic canons of proportion. So when he got this skull, the eyes were like way down here and just a huge forehead and really unique teeth. That's another thing I could put a pin in that as far as how teeth help us. Um, and he got an ID and that one was like almost a dead on that looked bad pun unintended. Um, but it looked so much like him. It was just, it was eerie. And <clears throat> I believe those have a better chance for recognition just because there's something unique going on. Like when I saw, I saw my skull scan, I have a completely average skull. If, if I end up dead, unidentified, and somebody reconstructs my face, because I don't, I know, um, I'm actually rebuilding it. Just I'm using, um, I took my skull scan. I had another forensic artist convert it to a printable file, got the copy of it. And so I'm using all the tissue depths that we used at the FBI, and I'm following all the guidelines to the letter to reconstruct the face. And my face does not follow the guidelines because my eyes are deep set. And I would not place those eyes as deep as my eyes are set in my orbits. So to kind of help, help me put it in perspective, right? So if you had 10 skulls, how many of them would you say are average looking skulls, right? Where like people kind of all look a little bit the same. Like out of 10, how many would you say are going to be average how many of them are going to be like, oh, that's a unique one, right? Like they have a unique feature to them. Probably too. Uh, it's, it's hard. It's really hard to say because there could be some things that are unusual about the skull that would not come across in an approximation. Like we've seen some where they might have a really wide back of the head or like elongated, but that's not going to show up in a facial approximation. So you can have traits that are, are not going to translate. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, when we were at the University of Tennessee, um, 
I would say, I don't know, maybe 30% kind of average. And then there was usually something going on, like just studying a skull and you could tell, okay, this cheek is more recessed. Um, this eye is higher than the other, things like that. Are those differences, though, something that a trained eye would notice or that somebody, like if I walk into the room, I would immediately be like, oh, that looks different. That looks different. For some for some subtleties like that, I think you need to be a trained eye because when I started the Bureau, I thought all skulls looked alike. I mean, it's like, it's a skull. Um, but the more you see, then your eye gets attuned and then you can go, oh, okay, like I... I, I, am, I am seeing this. And there have been times where, um, you know, I could say, I don't know, this, like, this one orbit looks higher to me. And then I would, you know, I'd get, my, get my partner or the anthropologist and they'd go, oh, yeah. And it just could be the slightest thing. But um, I would say somebody that pretty much has to be obsessed with it because I guess you could say I got pretty obsessed with the job. I just loved it. I loved it. And it was... Um, just such a challenge and just seeing if I could figure it out, like getting all those skulls together. And it's like, you know, can I figure this out? And with enough skulls, can I determine like, okay, when there's this shape, that's going to result in the face. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, like cleft chins, cleft chins are a fault in the muscle. The muscle splits. What I would love to know, is there a feature on the, like a bony structure on the chin that would cause that muscle to split or does it just split? So that's one of the things or like dimples, things like that would keep me up at night when I was in the job. Cause you couldn't tell that necessarily from just the bones. No. Is there like a certain ethnicity that is more challenging than another? No, the, the, the challenge comes when there's a mixed ancestry. So sometimes we would have where it would be Caucasian, possible Hispanic mixture. And then you're like, okay, well, which, you know, which direction do you go? And, and you're just not sure how to sculpt certain things. They, they tend to like certain ethnicities tend to look like this or have more prominent features this way. And then that would make sense that if it's a mix of them, um, then you don't necessarily know which way to go. Right, right. Like, yeah. Like I, I had, I, I remember one where it was, it was a mixture. It was, I think, um, like Hispanic and possible Asian. And so I was like, do I, I didn't want to offend anything. Like, do I do the, how you do the epicanthic fold? Like, how do I sculpt that to maybe it's might possibly look like somebody who have, of Asian descent or, you don't know where, you don't know how to go. And in the end, he was identified. And that's one where I, I wasn't thrilled with the, um, thrilled with the resemblance. It didn't matter. It worked. But that's just some of the things you just can't tell. How, do, okay, walk me through the kind of process of like, how this all starts, right? Like, when do you get involved in a case? How long does it take you to put everything together? Like, walk me through that process. Okay, so... Um, every agency is different, but at the FBI, so um, either the medical examiner or the law enforcement agency, whoever has possession of the skull, um, they would bring it to the laboratory. It goes to the anthropologist first. And depending on whether the tests have been done on it, they might take a chunk out of it for DNA, like if DNA hasn't been done before. So the anthropologist does their workup and then they transfer it to me. And I would say typically I can do a sculpture, like say 40 hours. 
probably less by the time, you know, I was doing it for a while. Um, but that's mixed in with all other cases. So I think the turnaround, um, I believe our turnaround goal at the Bureau is once I took possession of the skull, that I would have the sculpture done and returned to the requesting agency within 90 days. And most often, they're, if you tell them I should have this back in three months, they're thrilled because they're afraid it's going to get stuck in some, you know, in some endless, endless loop of bureaucracy or something. And that's just not how it, how it works. So, yeah, we, we turn them around pretty fast. After I had finished the sculpture, then we get it photographed. And then I return the skull to evidence because it might need to go to other units in the laboratory for whatever testing. Um, so that would, there's always a case manager. So they would, they would do the juggling of the cases like, okay, this one had a gunshot wound. So it's going to go to firearms first before it goes here, there, whatever. So I was usually the last person on that list. Oh, we never, one thing I got to mention, um, we never sculpt on the real skull ever, ever, ever. So, um, the part I forgot is when the, um, when the anthropologist would transfer the skull to me, um, I would have it scanned. At one point, we had a scanner in our unit. <clears throat> so I'd do a 3D scan of the skull, and then we would send that for printing. So we'd get a resin print of the skull. So we would have the evidentiary skull to the side, like protected, only handle it with gloves. We never touch the skull. And then we would work on the replica. So when you would get one, though, this was always somebody that they didn't know who it was. It was never like, hey, we know who this person is, but re I guess, yeah, you wouldn't we, there, Yeah, there'd they be no, they yeah, look like. right. Yeah, there'd be no need for that. Yeah, they're, they're always like, we have, we have no idea who this person is. There is a gunshot wound. It's an obvious homicide. We're at a total loss. You can't find out who killed them until you know who the person is. So um, that was always very just very, very, very satisfying, like to get an ID and then go, okay, like now, now maybe they can find out who killed this person. You know, you want to give them their name back and give them a proper burial and hopefully be, you know, have their family have some answers. But they were almost always, nef or always seemed to, or appeared to be from like nefarious circumstances. Mo most were, most were. Yeah. I mean, you find a body in the, buried in the desert, in a plastic bag, even if they <laughs> undetermined, you know, you don't see the trauma. It's like, well, you know. Yeah, two and two is four, right? I, d I don't want to use the word success rate, but I'm going to use the word success rate, right? Okay. But, <laughs> so what would you say is like your success rate in the sense that like, okay, I did this many and of them, this many were found or this many people were identified? You know what? I actually decided to look that up. Uh, but one thing I have to make clear first is that there's kind of like a, a definition or like, what would you call a hit? Like if, if I did a sculpture, let's say I did a sculpture and somebody's watching TV and they see it and they go, that looks like my sister. I'm going to call the police, submit my DNA. Turns out to be her. Like no forensic artist is going to say that that's not a hit. Like that's a hit. Um, sometimes you can put the sculpture out there. Nothing happens for years. Then you might get a, a cold hit in CODIS where just there's DNA match. And that would happen a number of times. I've had a number of cases where it was just a cold hit in the database. And then we get the ID photo. And then sometimes we'd go, oh, that's, you know, like we're, the anthropologist and I would be happy with that. So I didn't always know um, how 
they came about. Like when you would see, um, see the case in the newspaper, it would say they were identified by DNA. Well, that doesn't mean that somebody didn't see it in Colin and lead. Because facial approximations are not IDs. I see what you're saying. So yeah. the ID is with the DNA. So like my actual first hit was a bona fide hit. I, rem- <laughs> I remember where I was. I was out pumping gas. And a coworker called me and said, you know, the anthropologist, the police called. And um, it was exactly that, what I said, that somebody was watching TV when the, the news came up. And I said, I think that might be my sister. And that was exactly how my first one happened. And that's, I practically lost my mind because to me it was validation that I was doing things right. Because I was, to me, um, my biggest fear is hurting a case. Like somebody sees it and goes, no, that couldn't be them. That would, that would give me nightmares. I was looking up the, the cases I've worked on and to the best that I can figure, um, I know, like, I think there were 33 that were ident- that I have identified. And there are 60, 60 more of the cases I worked on on NamUs, which is the government's unidentified database. So I guess you could say I've got a 33% rate. But then you don't want to be like you're taking credit for something when it was a cold hit on CODIS or, you know, so I, I don't like using, yeah, you don't. I, don't, I don't like using like, oh, I, you know, I've got the success rate because you weren't the only person involved. <laughs> Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Hardest part of the face to get right, easiest part of the face to get right. Hardest would be the mouth because there's just really no, there's nothing structural that's going to tell you what the lips are like. You know, I, I have thin lips. If I were an unidentified skull, the artist is going to make them thicker because that's the guidelines. The guideline for lips is to make them the height of the tooth enamel. That's not me. Um, easiest, kind of the cheeks, just from what um, the cheeks, the overall shape, basically a lot from what we learned from the body farm because, um, you know, you can get folds of the eyes wrong. I would obsess over eyes constantly. I'd rip them out, you know, put them back in and, you know. Um, but the the whole, as a whole, the structure, that's that's usually, you can get that. Unless somebody was extremely overweight or something, you can get that. Oh, yeah, because you wouldn't be able to tell. You wouldn't be able to tell their weight necessarily from their skull, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, like, you know, forensic artists talk like, oh, this, you know, um, well, people's weight changes. People's weight changes over the course of their lifetime. So, you know, maybe they gained or lost 50 pounds or, you know, you don't know. Um you know, like I had one where a body was found in an abandoned um, kiln, like somewhere out in the middle of the woods. It was like an old factory or something. And the the clothes were very large, but she was skeletal. And so it's like, well, could she go to the store and buy clothes that fit? Or was she, you know, because she was apparently um, homeless. So it's like, you don't know what weight to make them. Usually we would end up with an average weight. I don't know exactly how to phrase this, but I think you'll know what I'm talking about, right? What's the um, longest that someone has been missing and been identified? I believe it was 37 years she was unidentified, and then she got ID'd. And the detective uh, emailed me after I retired and told me. So I was pretty psyched about that. And I I remembered remembered the case. Um, So, But I've I've seen them in the news like – 
you know, maybe 50, 60 years. And that's usually going to be a DNA hit. The, the one thing that I really wish it would put forensic sculptors out of a job, but, you know, better technology would be using the genetic genealogy to build the family tree. And then, you know, the contact, they find maybe a cousin like that's happened on a few, a few of my cases. Oh, you can identify their fam. Yeah, I know. Okay. Yeah. Because, um, you know, there's, you always can't get the best quality of the DNA from the unidentified, but like, say you can develop a profile and then the DNA investigators, they might say, okay, we think we tracked down a cousin and then they can, they can build a link from there. Oh, oh, I get you. Right. Like we, we know from your DNA that this person might be like your sixth cousin. Right. Okay. Like 23 and me or one of those. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, that kind of leads us into this. What was your, what, what's case kind of stands out to you the most? Actually, it's, it's not an unidentified. It's, um, an age progression. This has, thank God I remember his name, Lester Eubanks. He's still out there. Um, I did an age progression, age progression of him maybe like 20 years ago, and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children did a more updated one. So he was found guilty of um, raping and murdering a little girl. He was sentenced to death. Um, he was undoubtedly guilty. I mean, he all the evidence, and he admitted to it. Um, so he was sentenced to death. That was commuted. Sentence was commuted. And then because he was on such good behavior, they let him go Christmas shopping at a mall without being guarded. And how is that even possible? Maybe he bribed a guard. Some, maybe he bribed a guard. Somebody, some, yeah. For whatever reason, he's still out there. And his father, um, there have been several TV shows about this, um, about this case. And I think he, Lester Eubanks would be in his seventies now. And his dad, um, very strong suspicion that he knew where he was. He was in contact with him and would not turn him in. So I would love to see Lester Eubanks get hauled in because he, you know, that's that's the one if I had to pick one. Are there any ones that you've worked on that like, ooh, people would probably recognize that? Probably not the name, but um, there was one that I did that was on Dateline. And it's it's a... I hope I'll be able to explain it without getting it too <laughs> mixed up. But I, um, it was, it's a episode of Dateline called the golden child and people were stopping me in the hallway going, Oh, I saw you on Dateline last night. I'm like, I wasn't on Dateline. Well, they had used footage from another FBI thing showing me sculpting. And I had actually done an approximation of a female that was found in Virginia and her case actually got tied to another missing person. Basically, they were married to the same man, and he killed them both. So in solving, in um, arresting him for the murder of his first, of his second wife or girlfriend, they tied it together that he also murdered the woman that I did the approximation of. And the weird thing was is that it was, um, you know, FBI laboratories in Quantico, Virginia, and I used to take, it's the Garrison Real, Garrisonville Road exit. I believe it might even be 184. I don't know. Um, those bodies were buried like right, right around there. So we were all driving past through graves, basically. That's pretty much all the questions I got. Is there anything you think that we missed or anything like that? 
I can't think of anything. <laughs> I can't think of anything at the moment. <laughs> I want to thank Lisa so much for joining us. If you want to connect with her, we have linked to her on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. And we have also included her information in the episode description. If you want to see more about what this process looks like, the YouTube version of this episode will be live on May 25th. And we've also included links in the description to her website and to her book that will be coming out in early 2024. Okay, now let's bring in John Schull and get to the pointless part of the show. Here's my question for you. Do you think that you could get away with a significant crime? No to current day. Maybe before, I don't know, 1995, probably. But now there's cameras everywhere. How many crimes do you think that you have committed? Probably a dozen to 20. I think you've probably committed way more crimes than that than you realize. I think most people probably committed at least 100 crimes. I wouldn't say that many. I think a lot of people live boring lives and cautious lives, and I don't think they do those things. Uh, so I, I would say maybe 20 and less for most people. I think that people are a lot shadier than they would admit. I think a lot of people have probably committed. That would be my guess. I think most people have com create, committed between 50 and 100 crimes. I'm still going to stay. I'll, I'll say between 20 and 40. How about that? That's what I'll say. If you start thinking about certain things that you shouldn't have done, like maybe driving after having a few too many or things like that, then they start adding up pretty significantly. So John and I are both in our mid to late 30s, and drinking and driving was not what it is today when we were growing up in like it's teenagers and early 20s. That was one thing where we really learned as a society, even more than like seatbelts. They're like, well, we should stop doing that. We should really stop doing that. It, it baffles me. Like you said, that we probably did most of these things a, a, a while ago, but it still baffles me every time you cover something or see something of just the irresponsibility of people still driving when they've had a few. But it, it, was, just, it was just completely different. Just like 20 years before us, our parents saying, you know, it was completely different. It's like every generation, it just, it's just so different. I grew up, I'm old enough that they didn't have seatbelts or car seats. Like my mother just drove with holding me in the front seat. Like that's what people used to do. I just held on to them while I drove. Okay, so this is our 250th episode. What is the biggest thing that you've learned in this 250th episode? What have you learned about me, John? It's funny. I was wondering that because like on iTunes, it says this will be number 252. I, so, But if you're saying this is episode 250, then I will go by your record. The count is unclear. <laughs> as it seems to change depending on which app you look at, and I didn't feel like actually counting it. So we're going to call this 250. That's but what, what, have you, uh, what have you learned about me in those 250 episodes, talking to me every single week? You, you know, you know what, what's funny? And I'm not going to say that I learned anything about you, but what this podcast ultimately did for me at least was during what, what probably we could say will be the darkest time as a society, that being the pandemic, that we'll ever go through, possibly. Um, it gave me a chance to talk to one of my best friends every week. It, it, it provided a little light knowing every week we were going to have a, a conversation where we weren't talking about the pandemic or politics 
or just the bad stuff, you know. And that's that's kind of what is fantastic about this podcast. We don't we don't really talk about anything, but yet we talk about a lot of things. And it was always good to look forward to that every single week. And it still is. Mm. It's not like it's over, but yeah, it still is. Um, I feel like that's pretty heartfelt. I also also feel like you should have learned something individually about me. I mean, I asked you a question about what you learned about me, and you turned it around how you look forward to it. So really, you made it all about yourself. I mean, what did I learn about you? Nothing. Okay. All right. Anyway, let's move on. Listen, you know, listen. All right. Uh, all right. Let's give the – I guess I can – I guess now everything's going to be the 250th episode shout-outs. Sure. Um, Whether or not it's our 250th episode is unclear, but we're just going to call it this one. We have no idea. Uh, all right, let's see. We'll start with Michael Goad, Alex Curlman, Cordelia Pinales. This one's a tongue twister, so I apologize because I'm about to butcher this name. Uh, Malgor Rosada Pickens. What? Malgor? Malgor Zada. How do you spell it? M-A-L-G-O-R-Z-A-T-A. Mal Gorzada. At first, I thought it was somebody trying to, like, you know, uh, put something together to make me say a bad word or something. But then I was like, no, that that's unlike any bad word I've ever heard of before, if it is. Hmm. All right. Uh, let's see. Lisa Bailey. Isaac Sanchez. Ashley Tomasi. Sam Rosen. Polly Kaon. And the last one, it's very heavenly. Eli Heaven. Appreciate all of mm. you. Heaven Eli. Uh, no, just Eli Heaven. Um, well, if you reversed it, if you did last name first, it would be Heaven Eli. Sure. Uh, oh, I mean, that's got to be a tough name. There's so many tough names for people between the ages of like fifth grade and junior year of high school. Hey, Heaven. You going to Heaven? <laughs> you going to spend seven minutes in Heaven with Heaven? Did you have one? Did you have one that people would always go with your name and be like, hey, John? No, I mean, my middle name's a little funky, but no, no one really ever said it, so. Oh, remember we were going to do this thing where every week you tried to guess what my middle name was? No, but I kind of do. We did it once, like, a long, months ago and then <laughs> completely forgot about it. So let's get your, uh, let's go ahead and have a guess. What do you think my middle name is? I feel like I got the first initial right, but now I forget what that is. Uh, Robert. No. Do I look like a Robert? It's your middle name. It doesn't matter what your middle name is. Uh, Got a couple of bangers for you. All right. right. Uh, What would you rather do on a nice evening out with yourself or if your wife's with you? Uh, See live music, go to a movie, or go to a play? Why would I go to a play? I can't think of a scene. I've had a good time going to a play, but I'm certainly not going to spend money at this le- level of my sophistication to go to a play. <laughs> I'm going to go to music. Yeah, That's the de facto concerts. one. Concerts. For I'm going to sure. go to a concert, right? Because you got to have a night out. You ever been in a mosh pit before? No, I've been. That just doesn't appeal to me in any way. I just I've always felt like if I was ever to get in one, someone's gonna punch me in the back of the head because I look like a punchable guy. You do look like a punchable guy. Yeah. 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 Cause you're just big enough to be like, I'm gonna punch that guy, but not big enough to be like, Don't punch that guy. Yeah, I'm like in the weird middle. Yeah, you look like somebody people want to punch. Thanks. I would agree with that. 
All right. Second question is uh, to you. What is the last temperature that is suitable or acceptable to you for wearing a sweater outside? Is it 75 degrees? Is it 70? 75? I'm not 90. (laughs) No. Once the temperature goes into the sixes, you can wear T-shirt and shorts just like anybody else. Unless there is a strong wind coming out of the north that is cool, don't be wearing any kind of additional covering in the 60s. Tough it out. Right, that's what that's what annoys the hell out of me. Right, there's people be like, "Oh, it's the summertime, got to set it to 72. And then those same people, when it's seventy two, will also wear a sweatshirt outside. I don't know why that made me laugh so much, but I'm not ninety five. No, I don't know why that's you're my so official angry. opinion. I get upset about temperatures. I get really annoyed about temperatures, mainly because of my family who be like, "It's too hot." <laughs> Turn it down from seventy-five to seventy-two. You can't tell the difference. Well, I've always no way. That it's a mindset. Were... It's a mindset. I mean, you got to keep the house at sixty-eight. Absolutely not. Yeah, it can't. It can't be higher. Like you keep it at right seventy-two or whatever you keep it at seventy-eight in the summer, and it's going to be. I would put it at fifty-five if I could in the winter. You can tough it out. All right, so uh, the Twitter question today: uh, We're doing things a little differently. I literally just picked four random topics. And, okay, uh, okay, okay, okay. Let's see. So the uh, the three that did not win, uh, Bitcoin, Dark Blood, Macho Man Randy Savage. So uh, what one was... What's, the, what's Dark Blood? Apparently it's... Uh, so apparently there was a movie released in 1993, and it's part of a, uh, um, uh, like a series, a book series, yeah. and they're getting ready. They released a trailer... Because they're going to come out with, um, I don't know, like the the second part or something of the. They're coming out with the second part thirty years later to a movie nobody has heard of, and yeah. that's going to be a big success. Yeah. That's uh, that's that's what we're hearing. I have no, I have no idea. Um, okay. And then the one that the thing that won actually, K pop band, A E S P A. Wait a minute. Is it initialed out, or do you just don't know how to say the name of the band? No, I. I mean, I didn't. I didn't see. How, yeah, it's called Espa. Like Espa. You're right. That's A E S P A. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's a South Korean gr- girl group that consists of Karina, Giselle, Winter, and Ning Ning. Uh, they popularize the metaverse concept in hyperpop and K-pop. So my first question to you is. Are you familiar with K-pop? Only that I've heard the word K-pop. I don't know any bands. I don't know any music. I don't know any of those kind of things. That is a realm that I have not ventured into, nor do I have any desire to venture into that realm. According to Wikipedia, take this for what it is, K-pop is the fastest growing style of music in the world. Well, I believe it's more popular in uh, Eastern countries. And I think that they have larger populations, so it's probably the most popular thing in the world. Apparently, and I'm sure we sound like real winners here, uh, BTS and Blackpink are the most popular groups in K-pop's history. That's the initial, that, that, is, that could be an adjustment for us here. You and I are both in the United States, but we have an international audience. And we have always been at the center of culture in the United States. Like everything has really kind of come from us, 
from Hollywood and movies, music, TV shows, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Now we're not really seeing that. We're starting to see things come from other places of the world. And it's really made us, I think, realize how, oh, the world's a really big place. Americans don't really know that. Yeah, actually, and once again, I guess this can be a little learning thing if you don't know what K-pop is. It actually started in the 1990s and took off in the 2010s because of social media and the internet really booming and giving you know YouTubers and social media folks the, I guess, the power to uh, to showcase. And you, right, all you have to do is click on a YouTube link, and here you are. We've reached the age, you and I, where if like there's an award show. We don't know who ninety percent of the people are. I mean, I watched I watched a little bit of the New Year's Eve shows. God, for, you know, God save my soul because they're all terrible. And I, I'm pretty sure BTS was on there, and I still have no idea who they were or anyone else. I can't think of any, like, even if I look at a website and be like, "Here's all the presenters for this award show," like the Billboard Music Awards. I don't have any idea who any of them are. They've reached that age. And for people who are still in that age group, probably like the young 20s, maybe 20s, it happens in a second. Like you just turn around one day and you have no idea who any celebrities are and you have no idea how this technology works. It yeah. happens in a second. I have chat GBT, I couldn't even start. I have no idea. Like I don't even know where the website is. Is it one thing? Is it a program? Is it a website? Is it a social media app? Not a clue. It, it baffles me that it, it's funny you say like we're of the age because yes, we are of that age. But then at the same point, it's also the point to where they'll go and presenting is BTS and SEAL. And it's like, oh, I know who SEAL is. Don't know who you know, BTS is. But SEAL is like the Lifetime Achievement Award guy. <laughs> and nobody like, wait, what? <laughs> okay. All right. Are you ready for our top five? <laughs> yes. Okay. So this is the top five that we have done before. It's been a tradition. It was our very first top five that we ever did. We did it for our 100th episode, and now because this is our 250th episode, we're going to do it again. Top five meets. What's your number five? My number five, I'm, uh, I think I switched it up here, but my number five is chicken. You can't put chicken at number five. I am. You can't. I that's haven't ridiculous. I just did it. I haven't. I just did it. So that's, that's ridiculous. You cannot put chicken at number five. It is way too ubiquitous. I, I, I think I, I understand what you're saying, but I think when I go through my list, I, I think you'll understand why. I mean, I, chicken is good, but I'm going to go out on a limb here and say people only are fascinated or like chicken because they believe it's healthy. Or people would be eating red meat and different kinds of red meat every meal. Chicken is way too popular to put it at number five. Chicken wings, chicken tenders, See, so chicken that's, nuggets, that's chicken sandwiches. Argument. You can't that's throw another that argument I can make is that chicken literally had to turn into several other different kinds of things for it to be accepted as a good meat. Just eating a chicken breast is not good. It's not good at all. No, I would agree with that. No, you can get some good chicken. The chicken breast is generally not very good, but you can get chicken thigh by itself is good and chicken wings by itself is good. Yeah, but like chicken wings are not just ch- chicken, right? They're they're usually breaded, they're fried sometimes, like oven baked. Like I'm just talking about just chicken, just baked in the oven. It is not. You're treat. You're treating chicken like it's turkey. 
it's not turkey. Chicken is better than turkey. Turkey, I would 100% agree that it doesn't belong anywhere within even probably the top 10. It's not really very good. Turkey's but chicken is not turkey. I'm Yeah, chicken's my number five. I'm going to stay with it. Okay, my number five is sausage. I don't care what kind of sausage it is, pork sausage, beef sausage, chorizo, whatever. If it's sausage, it's going in my mouth. I, I, I'm going to get back to uh, sausage in the mouth a little bit later on in my, my, my top five. All right. You can't go wrong with sausage. You just can't. My number yeah. five is sausage. What's your number four? Uh, hamburger. Isn't that beef? So I, I split them up, and I only I split them up because, well, I'll get to beef in a little bit, but hamburger to me is separate because yes, it's beef, but it's it, it's it's not like what, when you think of beef, you think of steak, right? You think of brisket, you think of those things. You don't think of hamburger usually. So, and ha- hamburger is great, right? You can obviously hamburgers, duh, meatballs, spaghetti. It's 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 good. Though hamburger's a little bit like chicken, like you usually have to spice it up a little bit for it to be really good. Like if you just have hamburger by itself with nothing in it, eh, but hamburger still deserves a spot in them. My number four is bison. It's the only fanciest, fancy kind of meat that I could put on that list. None of that other stuff like duck, elk, frog, none of that stuff is any good. But bison is pretty good. It's the only fancy meat that belongs on a top five list. Uh, well, that kind of leads me into my, my number three. Uh, not not that these are fancy, but uh, I have I have fish, but specifically like like seafood in general, like shrimp, mussels, clams, uh, all encompassing seafood as my number three. I would put imitation crab as the best kind of fish. <laughs> I like imitation crab more than any other thing, except for salmon, but that's way too expensive, and I'm not buying that. You're definitely the guy that goes to the uh, you know to a a, su- a sushi restaurant, and you get the Philly roll, aren't you? I refuse to pay more than five ninety nine a pound for any meat. <laughs> not doing it. Nope. If what's it's your- over five ninety nine a pound? I'm not buying it. What's nope. Your num- what's your number three? I love pork. Pork is good. Pork is an incredibly underrated. If it's cooked right, pork chops are amazing. Pork sausage is incredible. But it's harder to cook right. But pork is my number three. Okay. I, I don't I love I love I love a good porkin. I don't have pork on my list. I'm not a big fan of, of pork like that. Um I do have I do have something like that coming up, but it's not. Pork is I left off. Pork loin, pork, pork chops. Nah, no, no good. Are pork rinds made of pork? Probably not. I'm going to say no, but I don't know the answer to that. What do you think that pork rinds are made of? Uh, or it's the, it's the skin, right? Isn't, isn't it the skin of a pig or something? Not to find out. Oh, it's deep fried pig skin. Yeah. See. That's one of those things that like if people from another world or if people from the past or people from the future came to visit and be like, what were you eating? Oh, it's deep-fried pig skin. Yeah. Wait, is pigs are pork? Is that... A pig is pork? I think so. I believe so. It's not ham? 
I always get that confused. How can one animal provide so many different kinds of meat? Because they're 8,000 pounds. A pig is not 8,000 pounds. Yeah, no, it's uh, pork is the culinary name for the meat of a pig. Then why is ham different than pork? I, How did we decide that this is ham and this is pork? You're asking the wrong guy. It's uh, ham is pork from a leg cut. Mm, okay. All right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gross. Um, all right. So my, num- my number two and one are interchangeable, but I give number one a little bit of an edge, but in, oh, we'll get to that. So my number two is beef, like steak, you know, brisket, things like that. Like just a man, nothing's better than a good steak sometimes. Yeah. My number two is beef as well. I think it's the best meat, but it's just not quite as versatile, economic, or healthy as the number one, which my number one is chicken. Okay. I mean, I think it has to be chicken. I don't think there's any discussion about it. It's chicken. Uh, see, and I, that's where we beg to differ, my friend. Uh, my number one is cured pork. And by that, I mean sausage, <sighs> bacon, um, I mean, I could go on a prosciutto, salami. Mm. Mm, bacon's pretty good. But see, that's where I don't think that it should be number one because you can't really just eat that. Sure like you, you can't can. just live off bacon without having some issues, right? <laughs> like if you were just eating bacon and sausage every morning, it's not going to be a lot of mornings. I mean, have you uh, – I will say one of my top five – foods is, is charcuterie boards i mean those are the best you get all the different kinds of uh, cured meats and cheeses and oh man put me in heaven oh okay that's gonna go ahead and do it for this episode of profoundly pointless i want to thank you so much for joining us if you get a chance leave us a rating or a review doesn't have to be anything big just a couple of quick words and i think that we're going to be saying that this is our 250th episode for a couple of episodes just to see if people catch on to the joke. And let us know what you think are some of the best meats. There's no way that chicken is number five, right? The chicken is just way too prevalent. Maybe it's not the best tasting, but it is, it is a utility player that deserves to be much higher than number five. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.